0: Welcome or welcome back to Pre-Arb Excellence or Rootspace Chicago Cubs podcast with an eye on player development. And today, this podcast, if you're a regular listener, this podcast probably isn't for you. This podcast probably isn't for you if you are a regular listener. I was out for a bit of a walk tonight, and I knew what I want this what I wanted to turn this podcast into. I started running through it, and I had a really hard time keeping it under 40 minutes mentally. I want it to be shorter than that. This is a podcast for you to send to your friends who are Cubs fans, who are pissed with what just happened. This podcast is for your friends who are Cubs fans who are pissed with what just happened in late July and because of what happened in late July what's happening now and what will probably continue to happen. For those of you who are listening to this podcast and this might be your first podcast of mine you're listening to everything you're thinking is completely justified. The I hate Jed Hoyer The I hate Tom Ricketts, I hate the Cubs, I'm done with this organization, I'm done with this stupid sport, you're entirely justified. I'm not going to argue a bit with anything of what you're thinking, because all of what you're saying, all of what you're thinking, all of your anger toward the way the Cubs acted with regard to Chris Bryant. It's all pretty much legitimate. It's it's all absolutely on target. And you're completely justified in being pissed off. What I'm here to talk about is why it happened, why it happened before, why it's going to happen again, for some teams, not necessarily all of them, and why it doesn't work all the time. Why it happened before, why it happened this time, why it's probably going to happen in the future, though not successfully all the time. You're justified in being pissed off that Chris Bryant's in San Francisco you're completely justified in, I don't want to like the Yankees as Anthony Rizzo wins them another game. Totally justified. Completely get it. Completely understand. Not going to argue. I want to give some backstory on why it happened the first time, why it's happening now, why it might happen in the future. First off, now you might think I'm going to go back to when the Cubs hired Theo Epstein. Tom Ricketts hired Theo Epstein. I'll get there presently. I'll get there presently. And I'm going to try to keep this under too long of a podcast. But there are some things that have to be touched. The Houston Astros in 2010 were a horrible franchise. Absolutely horrible They were in a division that had a couple of good teams. The Cubs weren't really one of them. But uh, the Reds were pretty good. The Cardinals were pretty good. the Pirates were bad. The Cubs were bad. Who was the other good team? Well, there were enough good teams. The Astros were smart enough to realize no matter what we do, we're not going to win this division. We're just not going to. So what they did, instead of going out and spending a bunch of money on Expensive free agents to try to get to the point where, hey, now we're at 78 wins. Now maybe we can get to 84 or something like that. No, we're just going to have a bad team. They had a particular shortstop. Not going to mention his name. I was thinking, you know, this guy that they have, he's not very good at shortstop. The Cubs have a guy that's better than he is. And the Cubs guy isn't even playing. So what the Cubs ought to do, this was a really important moment for me, the Cubs ought to trade this guy who is a better shortstop than the Astros have. Trade him to the Astros and get a prospect back in return. See what I'm saying? This guy is better than their guy. Trade them the guy that the Cubs have that's on their bench, He's better than the guy the Astros have and get a prospect back in return. And at that exact moment, I understood. I understood the Astros had no reason to trade prospects. Why were the Astros going to trade a prospect to marginally upgrade one of their positions? They were dialing it back. They were ripping it down to shreds. They had no talent. They knew it. And they were going to play through it. And what they ended up doing, they had three or four bad years. Oh, no, 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 not bad. Bad years. 100 lost seasons in a row. I don't know if it was 100 losses every year, but they had three or four years where they were either at or near 100 losses. They got to the point where nobody was even watching the games. They they were getting 0% TV ratings. 0% TV ratings because nobody wanted to watch them. They were that bad. Then all of a sudden, and this is about 2012. So stow this in the back of your mind. 2012, the Astros started to have players who they had drafted early and drafted early and drafted early. They started getting better and they started getting good. And all of a sudden, by about 2013, 2014, the Astros were a really good team. They had a whole bunch of really good, really young players. Hold that thought. Let's jump ahead to the, uh, uh, August, September, October of 2011. Tom Ricketts has replaced Jim Hendry with a with Randy Bush as the team's general manager. And um Tom Ricketts decided he wanted to get the best guy for the job. Tom Ricketts did not know baseball. You know, he knew he knew the difference between a home run and a double, but as far as you know making the actual decisions, he had nothing. He didn't know. He was clueless, and the Cubs had never really valued player development at all. So he was, uh, Tom Ricketts was out asking and by a rather queer set of circumstances, Theo Epstein became available at exactly the time Tom Ricketts was looking for someone to take over the Cubs system and and Theo Epstein took it over and he had some people he wanted in charge and to a large extent, Theo Epstein said to Tom Ricketts, I'm going I can do this. I can do this, but you have to let me spend. You have to let me spend. That's probably what he said, except it's not. He didn't say. He didn't say it in the way that a lot of people take it to. When the Astros were starting their period of bad seasons, there was no spending limit in the draft. There was no spending limit internationally. You could spend however that much you wanted. Team wanted to spend $35 million on a draft class. Go ahead, do it, whatever. As soon as Theo Epstein accepted the job from Tom Ricketts, right about within three months, international spending was limited. Draft spending was limited right after Theo Epstein took the job. And I'm quite sure that when Theo Epstein took the job from Tom Ricketts, he said, I'll take the job, but you got to let me spend whatever I want to in the draft. You've got to let me spend whatever. I- if I want to go out and spend $24 million in the draft, you got to let me do it. Otherwise, I won't take the gig. If I see a player internationally, and I think he's worth $18 million, got to let me spend it. And Tom Ricketts gave him the keys to the car. Here you go. Do whatever you're going to do. And Tom Ricketts disappeared. So, uh, Theo Epstein ramped up the scouting. International scouting. Professional scouting. College scouting. High school scouting. All the scouting. He wanted to find the best available talent wherever he could. Shortly thereafter, Cubs added Jorge Soler internationally for is that $30 million? Something like that. Which, you know, sounds like a whole lot of money, and it probably is. I mean, maybe he was 20 and Puig was 30. But it was, you know, it was very legitimate money. Uh, Epstein was thinking, I'd rather spend money for a player on an international signing bonus. Once he signed Soler, he had his control for an extended period of time. Not two years or three years, but nine years. Brought in Soler, He tamed somewhat Javier Baez. Brought in Albert Almora in the draft. And by 2023, he had things perfected well enough to get Chris Bryant as the second pick in the draft, even though people wanted someone else. Theo Epstein was pot-committed to internally developing talent. Because if you go out and buy a free agent for two years and $36 million, you have him for two years and $36 million whether he's ended good or not. Two years and 36, you got him. But if you sign a player in the draft for a $4 million signing bonus, well, he's got the $4 million. That's all his. That's not a question. But... For the next three years, at least, you have him in the minor league system. And then once he gets to the major leagues, you have him for six plus years there. Which is a whole lot better financially than going out and spending two years and $18 million on one guy who may or may not be any good. If the draft pick is lousy, which some of them are, Well, he spent $4 million on a signing bonus and he didn't do anything. Or he did really well. And what ends up happening with baseball spending, and owners will fight this tooth and nail, the first three plus years that a player is in a team's organization, he's effectively free. It's not totally free, but it's effectively free. When Chris Bryant and Javier Baez and Addison Russell and Kyle Hendricks and all of them, any of the players, any of the players in the league, if they don't sign an extension, they're making, I think it's now $700,000 a year. So whether a guy's any good, you know, a star or a backup or a backup reliever or a fourth starter, whatever, they're making about, you know, $700,000 a year, which is, you know, really nice money. But as far as, if you are an elite talent and you're making the same as a you know, reliever who's got an ERA of 6.5, well, it doesn't necessarily sit very well with the person who, hey, I'm, I'm carrying all the weight. Why aren't I getting paid more? What the Cubs managed to do by 2016, the year they won it all, Anthony Rizzo was making $5 million. Chris Bryant, Addison Russell, Javier Baez, Kyle Hendricks were all making less than a million. So between those five players who basically ran it, you know, really, they ran it, they're making less than $10 million combined. Less than $10 million combined. So since Tom Ricketts at the time, hey, now we're good. I have no problem with spending money. His key players were making $10 million. That meant for the other 20 roster spots, <coughs> he could spend $160 million. See how that helps a little bit? When you have a whole bunch of players who are making pretty much absolutely nothing then the rest of your roster, you can spend a little bit more on them than you normally would. It's not that Chris Bryant loves Chicago or hates Chicago. It was Chris Bryant was in a system where he was getting significantly less than he probably should have, particularly his first two and three years. But in reality, all of his first six years. It wasn't a case of where if the Cubs had made nicey-nicey with Chris Bryant, he would have signed a long-term team-friendly extension. No, he wasn't going to do that. And the team wasn't going to pay him a market rate no matter what. Which brings us up to 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021. The the wheels on the bus started to come undone for any of a various number of different reasons. The wheels on the bus, just start, the axle just started to not work very well. And I've heard enough people ask, well, did they have to make all the trades all at once? Kind of, yeah. Kind of, yeah, they did. Um, baseball has a lot of rules. Baseball has a lot of rules, And they are mainly beneficial to the owners. Otherwise, the rules wouldn't still be there. If the owners didn't like the rules, the rules wouldn't be there. And owners love the fact that for those first three years, players are virtually free. At least from a baseball perspective. From a baseball perspective, $600,000, $700,000 a year, that's basically free. That's basically free, especially if the guy's doing any good. If the guy's playing well at all, $700,000 is absolutely nothing. Because if he's worth a win above replacement for the season, he's worth like $10 million. So if he's making, if he's earning for the team $30 million and he's getting paid $700,000, see how that kind of helps? Okay, so now what ends up happening, since the Astros showed the Cubs effectively what to do. Be really bad for a while, build up a bunch of draft picks, develop the draft picks, get them to be really good, and then you're going to have a whole bunch of players who are all about the same age, about the same um, price level. And you have a whole bunch of players who for three or four years are really inexpensive. So. The Astros did that, and the Cubs did that. Now, when the Astros and the Cubs were doing it at the very start, people were saying, this is stupid, this is absurd, that these two teams are deliberately not trying to win. Deliberately not trying to win. Then all of a sudden, Cubs win in 2016. The Astros win in 2017. And all of the owners, all of the fans are saying, all hail intentionally losing. Doesn't take long to realize, oh, I see what they're doing. I see what they're getting away with. It's kind of hinky. It's kind of horrible. It's kind of icky. It's kind of disgusting. But they both got their trophies and they both got to have parades. I want parade, do what they did. And there are a number of other teams who to an extent tried to tank as well. I don't like the term, but To an extent, that's what they were doing. They were deliberately underperforming in a certain year, hoping that in the future years, things will work better. So now we move to July of 2021. The Cubs had a team that, if it was important to the Cubs, the Cubs probably could have kept within reasonably decent range of the Milwaukee Brewers in 2021. They probably could have. But between the manager and the executives, there's a bit of um, uncertainty because the executives didn't want to trade prospects to get quality for 2021. Quite the opposite, quite the opposite. They flipped Hugh Darvish and Victor Caratini for Zach Davies and for prospects who were very young and were nowhere near major league ready. They bought into those four prospects. They put those four prospects into the prospect pool. They started playing, and they went ahead, and it's like, okay, now we're going to go with our best foot forward to try to compete with the Brewers. But once they had that extended losing streak right after the no-hitter to the Dodgers, the executives decided, this isn't going to work this year. And the trade deadline was July 30th, so the plan was the entire roster, the entire 25-man roster, the guys who were going to be leaving anyway, trade them away. And it makes the team look absolutely horrible. Absolutely horrible right now. I'm not going to argue. I'm, I'm totally in agreement. If I were of a mindset where my entire knowledge of baseball was the Chicago Cubs Major League Baseball team, I would be very tempted to not want to watch. I'm vigorously nodding my head no. I would be very interested in not, excuse me, in not watching. I'd be very interested in not watching. However, Since I'm more interested in the minor leagues anyway, these trades have been an absolute boon to the Cubs minor league system. All of the really good players who were traded, all of the really good players who were traded, brought back good talent. Javier Baez to the Mets brought back a center fielder who, while he's missed almost all of the season, did really well at the low A level early on. He had done very well at the alter- alternate site for the Mets. He had done very well in spring training. He's a center fielder that can center field. Um, I'm going to say he's going to play defense better than Albert Almora. He will probably hit more than Albert Almora. He certainly runs better than Albert Almora, Um that's, it will be a question of, does Pete Crow Armstrong hit well enough to matter when he gets to double AA, A, triple A in major leagues? I can't answer that yet. He's only done very well in low A ball, and I don't like to project any further than would be logical. Uh, but no, Pete Crow Armstrong eventually ought to be really good. For Chris Bryant, the Cubs got a pitcher who, in his first full pro season is already doing rather well in double a ball which most major league uh, most most minor league players do not do well in double a ever this guy's already doing it in his first pro first full pro season and the other guy they got in the Chris Bryant trade alexander canario has home runs in four straight games and none of them were cheap believe me none of them were cheap they're all out onto the street kind of home runs Will that continue? We'll have to see. But the goal with the trades was threefold. The goal with the trades was threefold. One, the Cubs have gotten back some really good prospects. That is very difficult to argue. Very difficult to argue. Does that mean that all of them, or specifically any of them, will be Major League Regulars? No, it does not. I can't guarantee that. But the Cubs pipeline is a whole lot more stable now than it was in early July. In early July, it was a very middling organization, and that was with the benefit of the U. Darvish return. Now, the Cubs prospect pool is pretty much unanimously a top third, and it's going up from there because none of the players that are considered the elite players are even playing in AAA yet. So these young players are going to get older, presumably get better and having a whole bunch of potentially really good players who can be all-star type of players at the major league level when they're making league minimum. Again, that's the Astros' strategy. That's the Cubs' strategy. If you have a bunch of players who are all really good and really young and all making league minimum, it makes it a whole lot easier to spend the last $150 million or the last $170 million, the last $180 million if a whole bunch of your roster is a whole bunch of guys who are making basically nothing. So three prongs to the plan. One- get a whole bunch of prospects immediately to add to the pool to start working with. One, they did that fantastically well. Absolutely fantastically well. It might not play with you, and that's fine. That's fine. I'm not going to argue it. But that was one of the parts of the plan. Part two of the plan, since the team now, right now, is um, terrible, They had been about a 500 team before the All-Star break. Now they're down to 448, and they're going down from there. This is a bad team. This is a bad team, and draft positioning is based on how bad your record is. If your record is horrible, you pick early. If your record is really good, you pick really late. The Cubs record this year, because they traded off anybody that anybody wanted, their record is going to be horrible. So, in 2022, when the Cubs are drafting, they will draft early. That might not matter to you. And I would understand why it doesn't. But, that's part of the plan. The third thing, which goes along with the second thing really tightly, not only do the Cubs draft earlier, they also have a whole bunch more money to spend If they're finishing, if they're drafting, for instance, fifth instead of if they're drafting 25th. If you're drafting fifth, you get a whole bunch of money to spend. If you're drafting 25th, you get very little to spend. Doesn't seem like a very good system, does it? It Almost seems like it encourages teams to do really crappy because not only then you get the really good players, but you get to spend a whole lot more money on the other players later. That's exactly how the owners want it. The owners want to make sure that if they have a bad run of baseball, they get rewarded for it. That's exactly what the owners want. So since the owners are rewarding teams for being putrid, they're not getting punished. They're not getting punished for being terrible. They're being rewarded For being terrible. So since teams are being rewarded for being terrible. If the Cubs trade off all their good talent. And the best player on their team is Rafael Ortega and Wilson Contreras. And Kyle Hendricks. If those are the only three guys on the team that are any good. Well they're probably going to lose a whole lot of games. So it goes. Now does that mean you have to like the strategy? Of course not. Does that mean you have to uh, be really happy that the Cubs are doing it? No, of course not. Does it mean you ought to... Does it mean that you uh, uh, should wish Chris Bryant signs a long-term deal with the Giants? You can wish whatever you want. There's no blame for you for getting upset that the Cubs are a horrible team. The reason what was done now was done now was because there's a trade deadline on July 30th and everything that could possibly be moved that made any sense to get moved was traded away. Wilson Contreras, Kyle Hendricks, maybe in, maybe in the offseason. Maybe, maybe they'll sign an extension. I don't know. Maybe they'll get traded in the offseason. Maybe they'll get traded next July. I don't know. The plan is to locate as much good young talent as possible. Then when the Cubs have a whole bunch of really good young talent, maybe they have three guys that are really young and all-star level. Maybe they'll have four guys. Maybe they'll only have two. Maybe they won't have any. But the entire plan is load up on as much really good, really young talent And if it means that 2021, August, and September, the Cubs have two of the worst months in the club's history, well, that's really an upside for the plan. Because then that would mean they would draft earlier in June. Maybe they'll draft fifth. Maybe they'll draft sixth. I don't think they'll get as low as fourth. Fifth or sixth probably. And how they do between now and the end of September and into early October will determine that. You can be mad at the Cubs. You can be livid at Tom Ricketts. You can be upset that Jed Hoyer did not give Javier Baez a six or seven year extension at $28 million. You can be upset wherever you want. You're, you Be the fan you want to be. The fan I want to be, the fan I want to be, the fan I expect to be, and the fan I'm going to be is the one that follows the minor leagues. Because I really enjoyed it the last time. I really enjoyed it the last time. Because the last time around, I'm about done. 2012, 2013, and 2014, especially 2013 and 2014, Chris Bryant was developing. So many major league Chicago Cubs fans were literally angry at Cubs fans who liked the minor league system. But, but... But you guys have Chris Bryant. We want Chris Bryant. Get, get, c- can we have Chris Bryant up on the Cubs? C- Kyle Schwarber, I want him. Wilson Contreras, Javier ba- Jorge Soler. The entire goal of a minor league system is to develop players so that when they get to the major league level, they're good, they're ready to be productive. They're good. They're ready to be productive. Not all of them are. Some of them are for a while, and then all of a sudden aren't. Some of them aren't, and then all of a sudden are. You know, it's not all. It's not all straight lines. It's not all you know, straight playing up. You know, kind of like Chris Bryant was for a good long while. Players develop on their speed. Players develop. Sometimes you have a Tommy Nance who doesn't make it to the major leagues until he's 30. Sometimes it happens that way. Tonight, Liam Spence played his first full season minor league game. He was drafted in the fifth round in July. Today he played his first game with the South Bend Cubs on Was it Monday? Yeah, it had to be Monday. On Monday night, was not Tuesday? Monday or Tuesday, Liam Spence played his first pro game for the Arizona Cubs. First at bat, singled in a run. Cool! Excellent. Went one for three, drove in a run. Um, Wednesday night, he debuted... For South Bend in advance day. He jumped, he played one game at the Arizona League level, completely jumped over Myrtle Beach and moved to South Bend. So there's Chicago Cubs, Iowa Cubs, Tennessee Smokies, South Bend. Or, let's try this again Chicago Cubs, Iowa Cubs, Tennessee Smokies, South Bend Cubs, and then Myrtle Beach Pelicans. Then you have the Arizona League, then you have the Dominican League. So Spence is already to advance day. And today in his debut, in his first at-bat, he singled in a run. In his third at-bat, he doubled in a run. Now, how's Liam Spence going to do for his entire career? I don't know. That's why I love watching the minor leagues, listening to the minor leagues, because there are a whole bunch of players that are out there doing their level best to improve themselves, and I have no idea how they're going to do. I have no idea. All I can do is pay attention to the game, pay attention to who they're doing what against, is this, is this pitcher highly regarded, all that kind of stuff. I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. People represent that they know exactly how, what's going to happen, but they don't. They don't. I enjoy listening to minor league games because I want to find out what's going on. I want to know what's going on for the future. When you have a player who does insanely well at one level, when he goes up to the next level, he'll probably do at least okay. He might not do as well. Built at least okay. So when I was listening to the Cubs pipeline back in 2013, 2014, Chris Bryant goes to Eugene and just absolutely torches the league for about th- three weeks. Damn, skip over South uh, King County, went up to Daytona. He absolutely torched Daytona. Season ended. So I'm thinking, okay, he's done really well at Daytona. All he's got above that, back then the cities were different and the order was different, but um, all he had still was Tennessee, then Iowa, then Chicago, and that's after his first first full season. He's he's torched the two leagues he's been in. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm kind of interested to hear how he does in Tennessee because if he does really well in Tennessee, there's really not a whole lot more levels to go up gets to Tennessee, and he shreds Tennessee. Eventually they kick him up to Iowa, he shreds Iowa. You know, if, if it's, he shreds this level, he shreds this level, he shreds this level, he shreds this level, what do you think he's going to do at the next level? Exactly. When I'm tracking players, I don't claim to know much of anything. I can't tell you off of how a guy's done in three weeks at Myrtle Beach, when he's going to be in Chicago. I don't know. The player's going to determine that. When he does really well at this level, I'll move him up. When he does really well at that level, what do you think they're going to do? You're right. Move him up. Alexander Canario. They ran him up to advanced day, which was kind of a bit of a surprise after he's uh, picked up in the Bryant trade. He's played nine games for South Bend. He has a hit in all nine games. And in his last four games, he has home runs. Uh, you know what normally happens when a guy has home runs in four straight games in advanced A-ball? Normally they start thinking, mm, maybe he's better in this league. Maybe we, ever, maybe we better move him up to the next league. You know? The minor leagues for the next couple of years for the Cubs are going to be very fun because they are going to have a lot of very entertaining players at every single step of the way. So how's uh, Myrtle Beach going to be in 2025? It's going to be really good because they're going to have good talent there. And it's going to be fun to listen to. It's going to be fun to watch. And if the announcers continue to be amazing at all the levels, that'll make it even better. The minor leagues are where you learn things. The major leagues is where all that matters is winning. It's your call. It's your call. You, I, it, you've you listened to me for, for 35 minutes now. Obviously, you're a bit of a Cubs fan. I'm not going to tell you how to fan. You do whatever you want. You can be pissed off at Tom Ricketts forever. Cool. If that, if that makes you... If that makes your uh, Thursday more meaningful, then do it, by all means. The next few years in the Cubs minor league pipeline, those of us who follow the Cubs minor league pipeline, we are going to love it. Because we're going to start getting used to names like Kevin Alcantara and Owen Casey We're going to enjoy Alexander Canario for as long as we possibly can in the minor leagues until, of course, he goes up to the major leagues and then we'll enjoy him there. It's perfectly legitimate to be angry at the moves that were made in July. Perfectly understandable. If you understand how important major league executives think the minor leagues are now. They didn't think that way 15 years ago. 15, 20 years ago, the minor leagues were nice. They were convenient. It was nice to have them there. But there wasn't really a commitment. There really wasn't that much of a commitment. Nowadays, there is because teams realize if we can turn either a first-round pick or a seventh-round pick or an international signing that they spent a million four on for a signing bonus, or international signing that they spent two hundred thousand dollars on for a signing bonus, or a player that they got in a trade, whoever it is, if they can turn that player into quality, if they can turn that player into quality. It's going to help in the long term. And really, the long term is what executives are about. Jed Hoyer signed a five-year deal, a five-year deal. If you signed a five-year deal and you knew, I'm going to have the job for five years or at least four, you know, if it's a case of after four years, the team is absolutely horrible, then, you know, it's a different question. But if you sign a five-year deal, you know your boss is going to give you an opportunity to be around for five years. That first year, that second year, really, they're not that important. They're really not that important as far as having uh, long-term bottom-line success. It's really not that important. What's important for Jed Hoyer? is to have the cubs pipeline turn into the cubs major league system the major league organization in 2013 20 or 2023 2024 and 2025 kind of like what happened in 2012 2013 2014 2015 and for people who are saying oh but they said it's going to be a retool not a reboot If they were just doing a retool and not a reboot, do you think they would have traded nine players at the deadline, bringing about a roster that for the rest of the season, they might not win more than 25% of their games? Is that more of a retool or a reboot? Or a blow-up? The goal is to create enough young talent, low-cost talent, so that when they all start to get about Major League ready, roughly about the same time, they're going to have players who right away are very inexpensive for three years. And as they start getting older, they're gonna have try to have more players coming in to supplement. The one thing they screwed up the last time around. Thing they screwed up the last time around, when they won it in 2016 and tried to win it in 2017, they gave away too many of their pieces in the process. And they didn't have anybody to replace when to replace, for instance, Jorge Soler, when he would have an injury, which happened. Cubs just didn't have somebody to bring up. That was gone. They didn't have that. So this time, instead of having it be a one and done sort of a situation like it was the other time, it really appears they have so many players, all of whom look like they could be very good. They're not all the same age. They're not all the same age. So the hope would be some of them, some of them hit in 2023. Hey, this guy looks like he might be kind of pretty good. Then a couple more guys hit in 24. Then in 25, there's a pitcher and a couple of hitters that come up. Then in 26, there's a couple of hitters and a couple of pitchers that come up then twenty twenty seven see how that works if you keep having the players show up regularly, then you don't go one and done. You can be angry, you can be angry, no problem with no problem with that, but there is a logic to it. there is a logic to it, and they're not going to say. This is how much Jed Hoyer is going to be permitted to spend in 2022. No, that's not going to be a press release. There's going to be some things that they're going to say, and there's going to be a whole lot of things that they're not going to say. But from what I've seen, most of the trades, with the exception of the Craig Kimbrell trade, most of the trades are players who are not ready yet. They are not ready yet. And at some point, they may be, or they might not be. But the entire plan was have enough players now and on into the future that are getting a lot closer to Major League Baseball every every season, every offseason. They just keep getting closer. They just keep getting closer. They keep getting closer. The coaching continues to develop pitchers and hitters. That's the plan. The plan was to unload all the talent that could possibly be moved in July. They moved it all. And right now, Kyle Hendricks and Wilson Contreras are really lonely. Where did all my friends go? They got traded. I understand your frustration completely. And if you decide you want to take up gardening or uh, doing uh, building a cat house or whatever, whatever, I can't blame you. But there is a plan. And I've been telling people who listen to my podcast regularly Once a week. Once a week, pick a minor league game to listen to. Once a week. Listen to my podcast. I'll walk you through it. Normally I'm shorter than this. But I'll walk you through who are the players you need to know. Who are the players that you ought to be prioritizing. Pick a game a week. Just listen. You don't have to know everything right away. You, you, ooh, ooh, the, these are all these are names I'm not familiar with. I you know I, I I used to know the players at the major. Well, yeah, minor leagues it's different. There's a whole lot of players, and there's a you know roster moves all the time, and you know you get five guys moving up, and three guys moving down, and two guys moving over, and one guy getting released, and. Eh, but once you listen, once you start listening to minor league games, once you start taking a bit of ownership in one of the minor league team, one of the minor league affiliates, Iowa is a good starting point. Alex Cohen does a fantastic job of discussing not only what's going on in the game, what's going on with the Cubs, but also how, What's going on with the i in AAA relates to the Cubs. For instance, let's say there is a Cubs game going on at the same time the i are going. Routinely happens, you know, 630 games for both, whatever. And uh, Alex is telling you, you know, i winning 7-2, losing 8-1, whichever. You know, walking you through the game, telling you what's going on. Then he happens to notice that the pitching coach and the trainer are heading out to the mound, and one of the relief pitchers is being ushered off the field by the trainer, and someone else is summoned in. It's unfortunate, but you know, injuries happen. It's, uh... and Alex will then, well, it looks like. Insert pitcher's name here. It's having a little bit of uh, medical concerns, c- coming off the field with the trainer, and in a very tactful way—more tactful than I'll put it here—he'll eventually get to the well. If that guy's going to be out for a while, probably they're going to come to the ICubs to find somebody to replace his spot, since it's the ICubs game, and since you're. Very possibly a Cubs fan, if you're listening. Um, here are the two guys on the iCubs that would make the most sense to get called up, because the major leagues and the minor leagues are a team. They're a team, and not only are the iCubs and the Cubs a team, but it goes top to bottom: Chicago to Iowa to Tennessee to South Bend to Myrtle Beach to Arizona. To Boca Chica in the Dominican Republic. There have been a number of players that have done really well at certain levels in the minor leagues this year. Very well, very well. Some people have said, why don't they call up this player to this next level? Seems reasonable, right? Because after all, if you're doing well at one level, you move them up to the next level. The problem is sometimes. <sighs> You don't have a player at one level who's ready to go to the next. So if you bring up somebody from Arizona to Myrtle Beach, but there's nobody to bring from Myrtle Beach to South Bend, um, it doesn't work. What you need for everything to work properly is, for instance, if the iCubs... Have a player called up to Chicago, that creates an opening. So then you look to, okay, since there's an opening in Iowa now, who is a guy from South, from Tennessee to call up to Iowa? If you find someone to do that, then you try to find someone from South Bend to move up to Tennessee. Then you try to find someone to move up from Myrtle Beach to South Bend, and then you try to find someone to bring up from Mesa to Myrtle Beach. If you have a situation where enough players at enough different levels are doing well, the Cubs have been doing that very well with relief pitchers. Call up a relief pitcher from Iowa to Chicago. Somebody goes from Tennessee to Iowa. Then somebody goes from South Bend to Tennessee keep doing that, keep doing that, keep doing that. Then what ended up happening, they ended up trading a whole bunch of players, which kind of sucked. But then it created a bunch of opportunities for players in Iowa to come up to Chicago. Some of them have done well. Some of them have done less well. But then that brings about opportunities for players from Tennessee to go to Iowa, South Bend to go to Tennessee, And with some of the trades, some of the players who were acquired from other organizations, okay, now you're going to go straight to Tennessee. You're going to go straight to South Bend. So while really good players were surrendered, quality was brought back, placed where it was belonged, and the pipeline is a whole lot more healthy than it's been in a really long time. If you're mad at Tom Ricketts, have at it. When it gets to the point where you do want to listen to a Cubs game, whenever that is, maybe that'll be next year. Maybe you'll be ready for it in September. Feel free to consider listening to a minor league game. Come back to my podcast. My next one's not going to be 54 minutes long. Um, And listen to slower paced baseball, where it's not all about winning and losing, where it's about, well, this player was drafted out of Tennessee. He's actually from Geelong, Australia. And you learn about the players and the pipeline, how they're doing, where they're from. And it slowed down baseball instead of, well, it goes kind of slow at the major league level too, but so much of it ends up being win or lose, win or lose, win or lose. And if you have a tough win, a, a tough loss at the major league level, Everybody is crestfallen for weeks, at least until the next day. The minor leagues, you're learning about players. You're learning about players. Is this guy that they just called up to South Bend, is he going to be worth paying attention to? Is he possibly going to be one of those three all-stars? You listen, you get to know him. You get to know the players, you get to know the announcers, you get to know the flow. And if you listen to enough of enough of the games, you get your own announcer that you kind of dig. You know, Mick Gillespie, I understand why he won that award for being a great minor league announcer. Sam Wiederhoft is great in Myrtle Beach. Just listen to the announcers, listening to them calling the games. And you get your own favorites. You get to understand, oh, I remember the last time this guy pitched, he did really well. You get to know the players. When I started listening to the minor leagues, I did not intend to become a minor league specialist. It just kind of happened. I'm not mad at you for being upset at the Ricketts or for being mad at Jed Hoyer or trading all the players that you know. But but when it's time for you to come back to baseball, feel free to consider having one minor league game you listen to per week. Just one. Doesn't have to be seven. Doesn't have to be 14. That's for freakers like me. But what ended up happening was I started to realize, you know what? learning about players, learning about players developing. That is what I enjoy about baseball. Find out these obscure guys, what it is that they're good at. Is this guy a hitter? Is he a good defensive player? You'll learn things. You, you, you get to understand things. I enjoy the minor leagues better than I enjoy the major leagues. I expect turnover in rosters. It's part and parcel. That's what happens in the minor leagues. And you take to the players, and when they get moved on to the next organization or the next level or the major leagues or even another organization by way of trade, that's part of how it works. When it's time for you to come back to listening to Cubs baseball... Or, heck, maybe you decide you want to listen to another organization. Maybe you're a White Sox fan the next time around, or a Giants fan. Hey, whatever, you be you. Fan the way you want to fan. Consider listening to minor league games. Because the players who play in the major leagues were once in the minor leagues. And the players that make it to the major leagues probably ripped up to shreds certain levels of the minor leagues. The minor leagues are more about player development and less about winning. And that's the way I want it. No matter how good or how bad the major league team is, some of the players in the minor leagues will be worth listening to. And that's what I'm going to do. That's what I've done before. And it's what I plan to do on into the future. I have a red light telling me I have to be done in two minutes. so. Thanks for listening. I apologize for running on so long. I hope maybe some some of you valued this. My other ones were a lot shorter, trust me. Thanks for stopping by. Be safe. Be nice to others. And consider listening to a minor league game this week.